May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know what happened, but this morning I woke up and looked out the window, saw snow coming down, and I could have swore that last Sunday was sunny and 77 degrees. So I don't know what happened. It was just a completely different world, I guess. It's good to be home, though. I love snow, so it was, it was quite beautiful. The sunny and 77 was kind of nice, too, I'm not going to lie, but um, it really was beautiful this morning to see that snow. There's a story, this ancient Chinese story. Of a, of a man who was in a, in a traveling um, in a, a carriage being pulled by these horses and had a driver up above him and they were, he was a businessman on his way to, to, to do some sort of business deal and he had this large suitcase attached to the top of the carriage. And he's going along and, and there was another man, an older man on a mule who saw him and kind of flagged him and sudden slowed down and he says to the man, he says, uh, well, where are you going? In such a hurry, and the younger man in the carriage said, well, I'm going to the state of Chu, I have business dealings there, and I have to be moving quickly. And the older man said, well, there's a problem, you're going the wrong way down the road to the state of Chu. And the young man in the carriage said, but I have very fast horses. And the older man said, indeed, you have very fast horses, but you're going the wrong way. And the young man said, but look, I have a driver. He's a professional. Indeed, you have a professional driver. But it doesn't help you because you're going the wrong direction. And the man said, look, there's a suitcase on top of this carriage packed with money. When I get to the state of Chu, I have many business dealings to take care of. And and I will become even more wealthy of a man. And the, the older fellow says, well... That's all good and well that you have lots of money and young horses and a professional driver and your carriage looks pretty new as well. But you're going the wrong way. And the younger man said, but I've been on this road for ten days. You cannot possibly tell me to go back the way from which I came. He said, well, I won't tell you that, but if you want to get to the state of Chu, that's the only way. You have to go back from the way. I cannot I've been on this road too long already. And the young man hurried off, continuing in the same direction. Well, you know the moral of that little story, right? That you can be determined, you can be sincere, you can be committed to a certain action, but that doesn't mean that you're right. It doesn't mean that that your determination is going to make you successful. Sometimes, Sometimes it's good to be stubborn. Sometimes it's good to stick to something. You know, I've started this. I'm going to see it all the way through. When our kids start a sport, when they were, you know, we would never let them quit in the middle of it. You're going to see this thing all the way to the end of it. But sometimes being stubborn might mean being stupid. You know, that that we're on the wrong path. We're going the wrong direction. And and stubborn stick-to-itiveness doesn't make you any more right. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been stubborn at a time or two when we didn't need to be. You know, I've already traveled 10 days now. I can't turn around. You know, I've had these socks since the Carter administration. I'm not getting rid of them now. No, get rid of them. It's okay. You can let them go. I have voted for this party my entire life. And I'm going to continue to do so. Well, it might be good, but it might not be. I've always driven a Ford or a Chevy or a Chrysler or whatever you drive. I've always done that. Well, okay. 
You know, the longer we live to, the more fastened we become to some positions. It, it really doesn't matter how tenable or untenable they are. This is what we've always done. I remember a few years back, um, the Ohio State Buckeyes football team made some slight modification to their uniform. I mean, by slight, a tiny slight, like they put a black stripe on the sleeve instead of a, you know, it was all white and gray and they added a black stripe. And I lived in the Columbus area at the time. You would have thought that the coach was suggesting that we drink beer out of the Holy Grail. It was just, I mean, regular news radio, not just sport radio, but regular news radio. This is all that they were talking about. We've never had uniforms that look like this before. There are times when we can become very stubborn. I know not you, me. There are times when I can be, you, of course, very flexible. But me, Joe, I get very stubborn, you know. I, I even church it up a little bit. I call it traditional. I'm just a very traditional person, you know. Um, and, and it sounds really good, but sometimes traditional becomes traditionalism. You know, I become fastened in a certain way because this is the way I've always done it before. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. He sees him walking down the road and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He looks at Jesus and he sees not just Jesus, does he? He sees what Jesus is going to be. I mean, this is three years before the cross. John the Baptist looks at Jesus, he sees into the future, and he says as prophets do, Look at this man. He's the Lamb of God who will hang on a cross and take away the sin of the world. He doesn't say it once, he says it twice. See, here's the thing. This morning we have this reminder. It's subtle. It comes in very subtle. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A very subtle reminder that we are all born with a nature contrary to God. Every one of us. We're born with the image of God stamped upon us. You know, um, St. Augustine said that when a person comes to faith in Jesus, they have this remembrance. They have this sense of remembering this is where I belong. We, we don't know how we remember, but the, we, the way we remember is because we're stamped with the image of God in our creation. But we also have, since the very early part of the creation story, chapter 3 of Genesis, we have this nature that is bent away from God, that is selfish, that wants its own way, that is morally flawed. And I've said this before, you can take any young child and see this in them. I mean, one of the very first words a child learns to speak, and it's intuitive. I don't even, I, they probably say it in Chinese as much as they do in English. Mine, right? That is mine. Why? Because we have this nature, this urge to hold on to something. We are all flawed. I was telling somebody one time about some ornery thing that I did when I was a, a, young, a young person, and, and she said, well, that sounds like bad character, Joe. I said, it absolutely is. I mean, I was born with a nature bent away from God and towards self. Now, lately in, in our culture, there has been this little shift. It, it's imperceptible, I think, because it happens so, so gently, and, and it begins to filter through all sorts of ways through art and literature and music. And so it's hard to grasp. But people who have looked very carefully at this notice that in about the 1980s and 90s, there was a shift in our culture from what is called the modern period to the postmodern period. It's from modernity to postmodernity. 
Now, I don't want to get into a, a big um, uh, sociological discussion here in philosophy, but here's the real difference. The modern period was a period of science. It's a period of, um, uh, of the only things that are true are those things that are concrete, things that you can measure and quantify, things that are, uh, who are verified by the senses. You know, I can see this, I can touch it, I can feel it. I can even smell it, you know. It smells kind of nice, like little clean wood. Uh, you can, you, you know, there's, you could taste it, but I'm not going to. You, you understand what I'm saying. It, reality is verified by the senses. But in post-modernity, there was a, a little bit of a check to that. And it, it was a philosophical check that, that not everything can be verified by the senses. Take, for instance, love. One of the most important things in the world. You, you couldn't prove it. There's no way to validate it or quantify it or any of those sorts of things. And so post-modernity began to shift the way we looked at the world. And here's one of the big things. In a modern world, in, before the post-modern world, you had two basic um, identities in the, Christ, in the West. Now, in the, in the East, it's a little different. But in the, in the West, you were basically Christian or you were not. Of course, there were Jews and Muslims and, and all sorts of things. But in, in, in most of the Western world, you could even put it like this. You were a theist. You believed in God or you did not. And most theists in, in the United States and the Western world were Christians. So the opposite of that was atheism. You had theists and atheists. Those who believed in God and those who didn't. And so if you looked at Christian literature, for instance, in most of the modern period, it was all about trying to prove the existence of God. Right? You could go through and you found all reasons to believe. All these sorts of literature about why you should believe in the existence of a creator. But in post-modernity, if you went to the bookstores right now, both, uh, both Christian and non, you don't find books like that at all. In post-modernity, spirituality is cool. It's okay to be spiritual. But here's the thing. But don't tell me that your spirituality is superior to mine. Because all spiritualities are equal. That's the postmodern view. Tolerance takes over for a sense of certainty. Well, we can't be certain, postmodern critics said, about anything. Therefore, spirituality is back in the game. And the only thing we can say is that all spiritualities are basically the same. Now, here's the issue. What's the big problem with that? Well, the problem comes down to morality. If all spiritualities are equal, then all moralities are equal. It doesn't really matter what you think or do because all views of goodness and wrong are equal. And what do we do with this little three-letter word that shows up again and again in Scripture for Christians? This word, sin. This, this, op, this, uh, this idea, this concept that people act against the will of God. That's the crux of the issue. What is right and wrong and how do we determine what's right and wrong? What is morally good and what is sinful? John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, here's where it gets problematic, isn't it? Because Jesus is more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a man who says, look, be nice to people. It's more than just, as you've heard me say before, isn't it nice that we can be nice to the nice? That's not Christianity. It's delightful. It makes for good neighbors. But it's not the Christian message. Jesus is going to die on a cross to deliver human beings 
from their own selfishness and sinfulness, from greed and, and for wanton idolatry, for all the things that we have in us that turn us away from God. The gospel message is that Jesus doesn't want to just do something for us. He wants to do something in us. That he wants to transform us and make us into different type of human beings. But it's predicated on this belief that we need to be transformed. That something needs to happen inside of us. That we need to have some sort of moral transformation. Look, if you would, at the gospel lesson this morning. I'm not sure what page it is on, but you can help me find it. Uh, okay. Chapter 1, what, what page we say 7? Okay. Verse 33. It's a, uh, about a third of the way down. Way over starts on the, on the far right side. John is speaking... I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, God himself, right, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he, look at this, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In our world, this language, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, gets gets tossed around here and there, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some people will say that, and they're thinking about this sort of moment where you have this ecstatic experience where you begin to speak in other languages, or you fall on the floor, or you know you have convulsions. Or, I don't know. All sorts of things that people think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what I think John is saying is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some sort of physical manifestation where you do something. It's when the Lord does something internally inside of us. When I take a little baby up here at the font, you've seen this. We take water, don't we? Splash it on their head. And probably some of you have said, you know, that sort of reminds me of a bath, the way that you bathe a baby. That's exactly right. That's what it's supposed to look like. Because we're doing outwardly what we want God to do inwardly, to change us, to make us different kind of human beings. As long as sin dominates in our life, we cannot know real joy. As long as sin dominates in our lives, we cannot know real power, and we cannot know real peace, and there is no real freedom. Jesus came to be the Lamb of God, to take away, do you hear this? To remove, to haul away. Uh, back in the summer, um, Chuck Bauck helped me uh, change a, um, a water heater. Our water heater went out, and so um, I, I lugged it out to the curb. And thankfully, my trash company came by, and they took it away. Now, I'm sure it's somewhere, you know, probably recycled into something else. Maybe it becomes a car or whatever. But it's not sitting out on my curb any longer. It's taken away, right? This is what the Lord Jesus came. He came to take away the sin of the world. Being a Christian is not about going to church, although going to church is really great. It's not about belonging on a committee, Although I hope you all join a committee sometime. It's not about keeping rules or doing what other people think is right. It's not about living by a certain ethos, though there is a certain ethos to be kept. Being a Christian is about following Jesus. And you cannot follow Jesus without Him doing something in you. Transforming you. Making us into different sorts of people. There's a story about this fellow. His name is John Newton. Perhaps you've heard of him. John Newton, um, his parents died when he was very young, and he was forced into the Navy in England in the 18th century at 11 years of age. He deserted the Navy because he was 
fearful for his life. He was going to be killed by a, a sailor. And so having deserted the Navy, he kind of lived as a, as a young boy homeless on the streets. Eventually, a few years later, he joined the Merchant Marines um, and began to be involved in the slave trade. He would be on a ship that was an empty ship, and they would, they would go to Africa uh, and trade uh, liquor or, um, or food or weapons for, for human beings. And then they would transport these human beings to America, where they would be sold as slaves. And John Newton became a very, a very depraved individual. Um, he, he, was, uh, he was known to, um, to just be a, a horrid human being. And then one day, somebody gave him this little book by Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ. And he read it. And having read this book, he, he began to pray and he asked God to do something in his life. And the Lord did. And John Newton felt in a single moment like his whole life had changed. He quit his job. He later became ordained in the Church of England, became an Anglican priest. And this hard, crusty, mean sailor became not only a priest, became a poet. And he began to write poetry. Who would have thought that, that a crusty old sailor who, who swore and traded human beings and would become a poet? And he write a, wrote a poem that you know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The Lord Jesus welcomes us to come just as we are, wherever we are. Every human being on this planet, He calls, come, follow me. But He doesn't want to leave us just like we are. He wants to transform us into his own image that we might know real joy, real freedom, real peace. And I think that is very good news. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.